Hi everyone, welcome to What's Going On, a podcast series where we have important, relevant, and sometimes difficult conversations to inspire you to start having your own. In today's episode, we are talking feminism and the patriarchy in honor of Women's History Month in March. We cannot talk about the fight for women's rights without highlighting the disparities between women of intersectional identities, especially Indigenous women. According to the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women, Indigenous women are murdered at 10 times more than the average national murder rate. What's Going On is by Suffolk University's Center for Student Diversity and Inclusion in Boston, Massachusetts. Hence, we would like to honor the Mashapi Wapanoa, Akina Wapanoa, Mi'kmaq, and Massachusetts tribal nation whom this land originally belonged. It is imperative to acknowledge the Massachusetts tribe who historically lived in areas that make up present-day Greater Boston. We honor the diverse tribes, people, and respect their connection to this land. To know more about the land you are on and ways you can support the Indigenous community, please visit www.native-land.ca and for those of us in Massachusetts, maindigenousagenda.org. You can also find out more about the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous people at mmiwhoismissing.org. Let us jump right into the episode with Emily Weltman, a social entrepreneur and intersectional feminist who aims to achieve gender parity and inclusion one business at a time. Hi, Emily. Hello. Would you like to tell us about yourself? Sure. Well, hi. So nice to see you. Really happy to be on um, today. You invited me on. We met through LinkedIn. Um, I think you found me through some of my posts. And it's funny that I I sort of fell into this network of DEI experts and um, people that kind of do that as a career because that's not my career. Um, but I I say and 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 like I was just telling you, I, I watched this video this morning of um, Brittany Packett talking about intersectionality just as a to kind of hype myself up for our for our talk, and um, I I really like a lot of what she says. I, I I watch her all the time, and she talked about just that uh, it should be in everything you do. So it's not just an HR function. That's what it was. I didn't lose my train of thought. So she was like, you know, you need to make sure that you know DI doesn't just fall on to um, the woman of color or to, you know, to black women, Asian women, that it's something that you do in every area of your business. And that's definitely what I do. So that is, I think, how I found, um, ended up like connecting more and more with um, DEI, like community, the DEI community on LinkedIn was because when I started my business, I was like, this is like social justice, racial justice, gender equity has to be infused in every single part of a business. And you know, I've worked in, I worked in corporate America for a really long time and, um, I've been a woman all my life (laughs) and I, uh, have, you know, experienced my fear of, um, sexism and things like that. I, you know, I'm Jewish, I've experienced anti-Semitism. And so, um, I know the importance of building better work cultures and like how, you know, I feel like it's kind of one of the most important things because, it really makes the difference between people thriving or not and being psychologically safe or not in, in a work space and you spend all your day at work. So it becomes a lot of who you are, especially in this country. So, um, so yeah, so that's, 
Um, so I have my own consultancy now that I've had for a couple of years working on with uh, entrepreneurs, but part of what I do is just kind of build this stuff in from the beginning. And um, some, I work a lot with marginalized uh, founders or founders from marginalized communities, and they're usually relatively familiar with all this stuff. But then if I work with um, founders that aren't, then I sort of just kind of like start to see education a little bit here and there. So you mentioned about being in corporate, in the corporate world and how that spurred you to be more interested in DI and uplifting um, people from communities of color. And one of the big topics we, we are talking about today is feminism and white feminism. So would you want to educate the audience a little bit about um, firstly priming us with an introduction of what feminism is and how did that, you know, take on a bad rap that we kind of know now? Sure. Yeah. And I, I'll say, since we're going to talk about feminism and intersectional feminism, um, before we go too deep into that, I wanted to check in with you because um, part of being an intersectional feminist is making sure that you're acknowledging all of the different pieces of, of, of humanity that somebody comes into the room with, right? And um, there's a lot of really terrible things happening in the news right now um, with violence against Asian Americans and then not being talked about, right? So there's like two problems with it. One is it's happening at all. And two, the media isn't really reporting on it a lot. And um, you were really you know, great with me when we communicated that, you know, yeah, you were having like some struggles with it during, like last week as well, everyone, experiencing that should. So I just wanted to check in with you about that um, before I answer like deeper on, you know, my definition of feminism and stuff like that. Yeah, I appreciate you checking in. I feel that last week was a moment in time in that way that I feel that there's a lot of moving parts to the issue of anti-Asian hate crimes and um, so we had an episode before this talking about the model minority myth and how Asians are often overlooked in this line of um, advocacy and equity work that people think that Asians in that way, quote, have it good, unquote, you know, mm -hmm. that we, we earn a lot more than um, other communities of color, other people of color. And that may be true in spaces like tech space. At the same time, the Asian diaspora is large, right? There's um, so-called East Asians, which are more like Chinese, um, Japanese, Koreans, and then there's South Asians, which are like Indians. And I think people always think that we are monolith, that we are one and the same. I get a lot of people who would say that, oh, you all look the same, referring to us as Chinese, Japanese, Koreans, that we all mm -hmm. look the same. And how that links to feminism and my identity as an Asian woman is that it's two-pronged, which I'm pretty sure you'll talk about later, that yeah. um, as an Asian, there's this need to bring solidarity with other communities of color and, and kind of explaining why that is necessary, that model minority myth has us pitting against one another and have you thinking that I'm better than you and that's not the case. And the right. bigger enemy is white supremacy. And me as a woman, that there is still misogyny within the, the work of um, advocacy and 
calling for solidarity. There's still Asian men who think that patriarchy is held only by white men and mm-hmm. that they're not responsible for the patriarchy. When in fact, um, I'm, I will speak from my culture, you know, Chinese has thousands of years in, of culture and what's embedded in that culture is that men have a higher social status than women mm-hmm. just by being mm-hmm. a man. Mm-hmm. And for, for us to be activating in that way and advocating for ourselves as Asian women or Asian non-men, you know, to include non-binary folks, mm-hmm. um, Asian folks, is that um, we have to come with this reckoning that it's not just the Asian community having to um, stand for ourselves and speak for ourselves, that we are diaspora, we are not a monolith, but also for Asian who, Asians who are not men to talk to our men that, you know, look, this is not just about race. Intersectionality also has us talking about gender and we need you to acknowledge that. So that has been kind of what I have come to realize the past 10 days. Um, it doesn't mean that I've only started thinking about it the past 10 days, but of course not, yeah. because, you know, of like the it's like a wave, right? Because of what has happened, it built up to the point of like, you know, being, having, having to name it, having to kind of like put a, mm-hmm. a verbalize what is going on and what we need to work on. So yeah, yeah I appreciate you tuning in. And that's, that's basically what I really want to share with the audiences. Yeah, that's great. I think that you described that so well. It really is like a wave when I think, um, you know, and I and I, I can only imagine as a woman of color, and especially I think for Black women in this country, that wave is almost never ending, right? Um, but I have, you know, for what I experience, like when there is something in the news, like the Kavanaugh hearings, that wave hit me terribly, right? When um, you know something like the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting happened, like that wave hit me, and like you do, kind of like. Your, whatever hits you from your intersectional point of view and your it, it really is like you have to kind of go through like you know a grief basically um and sort of figure out how you feel about the whole thing and where you are and how you want to um communicate that to other people um and I definitely felt that even with what was happening with Trump and when he was like talking about the Proud Boys and I live in Oregon so I was extra sensitive to it but just naming that that like, you know, that anti-Semitism is still a thing. And um, I definitely had, you know, well, we'll, well, we can talk about that later, but I de- I've definitely seen posts where the same thing happens to anti-Semitism. It just gets brushed under the rug. It's not a thing anymore. It's, you know, and, and, and yet I know, and I'll, I'll talk about this when I uh, give you my definitions finally, um, but that like, I have a lot of privilege in America as a white woman and that I can take off for now, most of my other otherness, you know, if you will, can't take off being a woman most of the time, but, um, you know, that, um, gives, that does give me upward mobility that has, that doesn't happen if you are a woman of color. So feminism, so it's interesting to me. I mean, I think feminism, we talked about this right away. I think that's part of the reason that you had asked me on. And I was like, well, if we're having talking about intersectionality, do you want just me like that? I'm not the most intersectional person. Um, but you, you had a great point that you wanted to talk about it from like a white feminism perspective. So, um, you know, my, my feeling is as I, as I've ridden these waves and had to learn what I feel, 
um, and what I believe is that, you know, feminism gets a bad rap. And that's because there's different waves of feminism. Actually, funny to use the wave term because there really are, you know, first, second, third wave of feminism that, that did not do everybody equal justice, right? It was very self-serving. Um, it was this idea that we, we all want equality, but it was really for white women. And so I think today when you say that you're a feminist, immediately it's, it's, it's taken as a negative. Um, and, you know, I, I think of like, my kids are so progressive that like, I love it, but sometimes they challenge me. And so my daughter who's 11 will say, well, you know, mom, feminism, it's not about it's girls turn to rule the world because my son who's like, loves me and he's littler. He's like, mom, you know, it's girls to turn to rule the world. He drew like a picture of me, you know, as like a superhero kind of thing. And my daughter's like, no, it's, the, it's, it's everybody's turn to rule equally. And I like love that she kind of gets that. Like when you're a feminist, it's not about like women are better. Right. Um, I do struggle with that a little bit because we have a lot of ground makeup and I do feel like it is our turn in some sense that like we need to be given or take our seats at the table, right? Make our own tables. But the, and that was, that's Shirley Chisholm's black woman. So I don't want to say that, but you know, like if we need to make our, you know, pull up our own chair or make our own table, we will. Um, but I do think that there is something to remember in that, that like, we're not, feminists aren't man haters. I think, you know, you, you use the word in, in, in our notes, like, oh, we'll talk about Miss Sandry. And I was like, I didn't even really honestly know that word very much. Doesn't get used as much as misogyny, surprisingly. I mean, I know I knew of it, um, but I was like, of course, misogyny gets used more because we're the ones talking about it and we're talking about this stuff. Um, so, so I think I think it gets a bad rap, um, which is unfortunate because I think everybody should be a feminist. Doesn't matter who you are, because the idea of feminism to me is not about women being more, it's about everybody being equal, right? And that we all deserve an equal chance. And honestly, to me, when you're an intersectional feminist, it's kind of like, it's a great term, but it, it's, it, it, you know, to me, I take it as like everybody, no matter what your intersection is, should be equal, right? We should be fighting for equality, not based on the way you look, you know, you even said, and I, and I, I'm, I'm speaking in the binary and I shouldn't be right. Like, it's not just men and women. Like there's, I, I watched a great, do you, do you, do you ever watch um, Blair Imani on Instagram? She's like 62nd, yeah. right? She did a really good one that was like, I think it was nine minutes um, of um, LGBTQIA2S plus. And she explained each one. So for your viewers, it's pretty good. Um, and so, you know, that's another thing is like the intersection of what, how you identify is super important. So um, as far as that was your first question, did you, was your second question about intersectionality, how I define that? Or did I make that up? Uh, not yet. It's just um, basically okay. like the basis of feminism and how they evolve. And so you oh, mentioned yeah. wave, right? Ways of feminism. So yes. would you want to give an overview, like a crash course for our audience about what the different waves are? Yes, I will do my best, you know, as a gender expert, so to speak. I mean, I'm only an expert in that I want equality for everyone, but I, you know, 
social justice and gender and racial justice is like a part of what I do, but it's not what I do. So like, as I said, like, I'm not a DI expert, so you probably could do a better job than I will, but I will definitely, so please correct me. Um, but, you know, what I really focus on is the difference between second wave feminism and now. So, you know, um, I think of like first wave feminism as the uh, suffragists, right? And like women trying to gain for the first time in the public sphere, some kind of equality, right? Um, I wrote um, a paper on this, which I'll, I'll also share with you called um, something about uh, politics persisting in patriarchy. And it basically was like the last hundred years of, of women and how what white women kind of owe black women in this country um, for their, you know, for this movement, for, for basically learning how to fight for your rights because black women sort of taught us how to do that. Um, and so, you know, when they fought for suffrage and first wave feminism, black women fought for it knowing that they weren't gonna benefit. They knew that white women would get it and they would, they just knew it was moving the movement forward. So to me, that is a huge part of like good example of intersectionality. It's like, we're fighting for everybody. Second wave feminism, when I think of it again, like there's a, it's a lot more complex than this. I'm just telling you how I, how I bucket it so that I can compare it from like one movement to the next is that, you know, Second wave feminism is like the 60s, burning bras, you know, beginning of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like women have power and we don't need to behave like men, you know, coming out of the kitchen, all of those things. Second wave feminists, most of them are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, um, 60s and 70s, I would say. Oh, well, I guess no, 80s, because Ruth Bader Ginsburg would have been one too. Um, so they often miss intersectionality because especially as white women, they were sort of just like plowing ahead and they weren't looking behind. And so I have a friend of mine who taught me like a great, from activism, like a great thing that, you know, if you're marching, you don't leave anybody behind. She's like, you can always tell the people that are new to a Black Lives Matter protest because they're running across the bridge and there's somebody with a disability there and they're not helping them from behind, right? To make sure that we are all moving forward together. And I think second wave feminisms didn't really do a great job of that, right? Like they, white women were like, it was all about gender equality and they really, <laughs> and they missed a lot, right? And so um, I think, you know, now the third wave feminism, 80s-ish. Um, and then I, I kind of think that this is a fourth wave. I don't know if that's really like, if there's, you know, there's some people defining that and some people talking about that. Um, some people say there's only three waves, but I think that the idea that, um, you know, we're learning from the, the good and the bad that second wave feminists did, right? How great they were at breaking these barriers and, and changing laws and rules for women and, and norms and expectations, right? Um, and, you know, you think like they were wearing jeans and like, you know, just like, there's all these things that, you know, as we evolved, just even with our um, clothing and I was an apparel designer, so I can't help myself there. Um, but I think that like, you know, in being in spaces now where I see second wave feminists running programs or teaching classes and things like that, they, they unknowingly cause a lot of harm for women of color because they just talk about gender in such an outdated way. You know, they're, it's just, they're not, they haven't really had this education. So 
there's a perspective. Well, but I was in the sixties and it was the civil rights and I know it. And you're like, yeah, I, I think I know stuff too, but I actually don't. Right. Like it, it's just learning it in a different way. So, um, I think that now, you know, the move, the movement that we're in now, it, you know, if you identify as a feminism, it really, it's intersectionality or you're not a feminist, a feminist. Like if you're, if you don't do that, because otherwise you're not fighting for everybody, you're just fighting for white women. And that's really not, first of all, it's not beneficial to white women um, to do that. You need to fight for everybody. Um, but also it's just, it's not authentic to me. Yeah, I agree. You definitely have to encompass all of it. It's almost like doing social justice work as well. You, you may specialize in um, designing workshops and policies around equity for race-based identities, but you cannot not care about LGBTQ+. You cannot not care about right. accessibility. So it's kind of like right. parallel there with feminism. And I like that you mentioned about learning from the second wave because there's good and bad. And I think a lot of times people think of social justice or think of ourselves as like good or bad. Like you're either a racist or you're not. And mm-hmm. I think it's it's time for a lot of us to kind of reconcile with the fact that we can be activists or we can think of ourselves as not activists, um, but our actions affect, our actions have consequences and our actions yes. affect people in different ways. And so I don't think anyone would like to be ra- labeled as racist. I don't think anyone wants to be racist. However, I yeah, can tell you right sex. now, my part, my partner is not thrilled when I'm like, oh, you're just like, that's so patriarchal, you know, but that's right. But, you know, sorry, go ahead. Finish, finish what you're saying. Sorry. No, sorry. I was just going to say that because um, I face people getting defensive when I say that, hey, what you said hurt me or I'm not comfortable with you expressing that view when I'm around, especially, if, for example, around politics. And they're like, but I'm not racist. Why are you saying all this? And I'm like, I'm not saying that you're racist. I'm saying that you're complicit mm-hmm. towards this current system that's right. oppressing people like me. Yeah, no. I like that. And I also think like, you know, that the, we, we could get into a little bit more about like white fragility and things like that. But I think that just in general, as Americans, we're like very like label sensitive. So on the one hand, we want people to very much identify us correctly. And if you don't, you're the worst, which is can be challenging because if you have people new in this space and they misgender you, but they mean well, you know, some people will say, well, that's not good enough. You can't mean well, you have to get it right. Okay, right. well, I, I, want it, I want a little bit more bandwidth there because I want to bring more people along personally. Um, and so, you know, I have uh, a, a, a coach that's non-binary and once in a blue moon, I slip and, 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 and use the wrong pronouns and they're super gracious about it. And, they, and we've talked about it. And I've said like, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to make sure I get it right every time. And my kids correct me all the time. Um, but, you know, again, like that's something new. I have to unlearn that there is other genders, right? Like I spent 40 plus years in this world. Um, or, well, hopefully I learned about that a little little earlier. But um, but I think, you know, we're, well, on, so on the one hand, labels are super important to us, right? We want people to label us well. On the other hand, we're like, don't call us anything. Right. So that's why I think, 
even women that are advocates for gender equality are like, I'm not a feminist. I don't like that because they think, okay, well, I'm a second wave feminist or they identify with something negative. And I think the thing that changed my mind so much about this was Ibram Kendi's book. And I know it's super like cheesy. Everybody reads him and refers to him, but I was reading the beginning of his book and I did the audio book. It's he's speaking it. And I was like, he's describing himself, you know, teenage, you know, young black kid. And he's like, and I was so racist. And I was like, wait, what? You know, like, okay. and then, yeah. and then he, he explains about how everybody's racist, unless you're not being racist, like, unless you're actively trying to be anti-racist because our default is racism. And I just think that's so true. Our everything, our default is misogyny. Often our default is definitely sexism and patriarchy. I mean, women have not had that been, you know, our, our generation was not taught to treat women equally. It was taught to subjugate women. And so I don't think it's so bad when people are like, because the other thing too is like being and or acting like something is not it. So if I say like, God, you're being a brat, like that's not nice. But if I'm saying you're being bratty, it's a little different. Now, some people don't parse those apart. My kid would be like, I don't want you to call say that either. But for me, I'm like, if you're saying that I'm, what I'm saying is racist, I don't want to be sensitive about that. If you call me a racist, that's a little bit different. Um, but I should still not take that personally because in theory, by even Kennedy's definition, which I really like, we, we're all racist. You know, it's just important to, especially if you are a person who wants, if you're new to this, right? And you're a person who wants to be better about inclusivity, and using proper terms and calling people by what they want, identifying people and being sensitive, you have to be willing to be corrected and you have to not be so sensitive, especially white women. Honestly, I saw a post the other day, somebody said, um, you know, when, when white women get to a point where they are like, not a, like they, what did they say? It was like, great, not grateful, but even more so like, excited when they get corrected like almost like they're like they're like in it for real that's when like you know that's good but it's very rare and I'm like oh I'm at that point now where if I get corrected it still hurts I still get embarrassed I still feel weird a little bit I get over it faster but I am so grateful that somebody called me out whether they called me out in public or in private um because otherwise how else do you learn or know if you've been raised in a homogenous society your whole life, how would I know? Like, I, I'm sure I, 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 I say stuff all the time that's not okay. Um, but, the, but what you said earlier, it's like intent versus impact, you know, is a big thing that we talk about in this space. It's like, well, I might've meant well, but if I misgendered somebody and it really bothered them, the impact might be really hurtful. And I need to acknowledge that. I need, I, you know, on the one hand, I would like grace because I'm trying to learn. On the other hand, they don't owe me grace because that's who they are. And if somebody called me something I wasn't and I didn't like it, I have every right to feel that way, right? So um, I think owning that and owning those mistakes and acknowledging that like, yeah, we're quote unquote learning, but like nobody has to be patient with our learning. That's another huge thing for me. It's like that, you know, it's this, the idea of like a journey. Like that sounds so like um, peaceful and uh, like you have all the time in the world and I, I don't have time 
I'm like, there's no time. We got to fix this now. I agree. And I also want to uh, mention how, because you mentioned about learning, right? And, and journey. And it's a lifelong journey to unlearn what we, what we are brought up with, believing sure. and also relearning. And part of that is decentering oneself learning how to decenter and say that this is not about how I feel or this is not about me. This is about that person mm-hmm. being hurt and them taking the effort to tell me. And so I should center their feelings and what they're saying instead of me. Because I think it's very funny the more I think about it now. And I, something that I don't really realize is that you ever get those moments where you tell someone that you're hurt and then they get mad that you're mad. Uh, every single day in my house. <laughs> and isn't that so weird? That, it is. Like, it's a defense yes. thing. It's like, right. a, it's like a, they're hurt, but they'd rather deflect, right? Like that's, you know, they see you're hurt. And a lot of times it's people can't handle your feelings. So we have a, we have a saying in my, fa- in my house that um, our pediatrician uses and, and, and is like, all feelings are welcome here. Like it's okay for, a woman to be real pissed and real angry and yelling. All feelings are welcome. It's okay for my son to cry his eyes out. Like there, you know, and I think that like, especially for us, the adults in the house, like that's hard to remember sometimes that, you know, you just want to be like, stop, get, you know? That's right. Um, yeah. And we have to remember that that is also the harm of patriarchy. We always think that patriarchy only hurts women, but it hurts men too, because it's telling men that some emotions are not okay for them to express. Some behaviors are not okay. You cannot yeah. wear a skirt, whatever that means, you right, know, right. and you cannot cry. You cannot show vulnerability. Right. And um, so bring that out as well. And you were talking about waves of feminism and white feminism how now people cannot be feminist and not intersectional mm-hmm. so let's talk a little bit about TERFs so for those okay. who have not heard of the term TERFs um, is T-E-R-F is an mm-hmm. acronym for Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminists so they are right. basically people who claim to be feminists but are also fighting against um, trans women Mm-hmm. Um, especially trans women of color, black trans women, um, gatekeeping and preventing them from entering um, spaces for women. So what are your thoughts okay. about that um, yeah. and share with us? Yeah, and um, I think, you know, it sort of kind of goes to, well, I just want to go back to what you were talking about earlier. You said something about centering, right? Or decentering yourself. So I think that that is a, a lifelong practice for everyone, right? We are, well, not everyone, a lot of people are raised in a culture where they don't center themselves, but for white women, for sure, we, part of second wave feminism was like, speak up, get loud, own the room, take up space, right? Because men wouldn't let us. So we were like thrown in the room. And now it's like, you've got to hang back. And even, so that can be hard. And it's hard for me. I'm a talker. Like I'm my culture, you know, my culture, I'm a New York Jew. We talk over each other. Like that's, you know, and when I moved out to Oregon, I didn't realize the impact of that on my culture here until I moved here. And I have had severe culture shock. Cause it's like, what? Everybody thought I was so rude and pushy. And I, and then I just realized, oh, it's literally just that part of me. 
Um, so I think the decentering is really important and to tie it into TERFs, um, you know, if you're being truly intersectional, you accept everybody for their identity, however they wanna show up. Um, I think that the idea to exclude anybody to me is it's like so counterintuitive. And it seems to me that it stems from, I, I don't know enough about why, but um, to me, it stems from some, some uh, a little bit religious, right? Like that there's this idea of like, yes, but God created, right? Like, so yes, we should be equal, but then God created this binary, um, which I think that shows up a lot. You know, I think, I, I don't, I honestly don't think you can talk about what happens in America in intersectionality, in feminism, in gender, race, religion, you know, without talking about religion and the fact that it, we're not just talking about a patriarchy, we're talking about a Christian patriarchy, right? Like that has had a huge influence on our government. I mean, all our laws, our constitution, everything was written with this idea of quote unquote religious freedom, but really it's religious freedom for white men right? It's freedom for white men. So um, I say in, in the, that article I talked about, like, uh, you know, we are a footnote, everybody except for white men, Christian men, we're a footnote in, in our government, right? And so the country, like, you feel that. And I think so for TERFs, like, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't compute to me at all. Like, I don't, and I, so the only way that I can sort of explain that for myself is to be like, well, that must be like a religious belief. But you know, for me, again, it's the idea that you don't leave anybody behind physically, like literally pull everybody up, put people in front, right, that have been behind, um, learn to take up less space or go back if you have some power and privileges, like, you know, um, that thing I listened to this morning, like, um, Brittany says, like, you know, you pay with your privilege, like, we don't want your guilt, use your privilege. And I love that. It's like, use your privilege as currency, and I, so, I mean, that's what I've been doing. That's what I definitely want to be doing. And um, I think that's so important. So I don't, I, you know, for, for people, you, you, you said at the beginning um, about, uh, I'm not sure if this was before our pre or not, but like there's, it causes, um, like we're not helping each other when we don't accept each other's oppression, right? Like that you, that you are like the model minority and therefore like it's not acknowledged and there, you know, and I feel like if it, it, it's a problem, it was in communities, they like the white supremacy wants us infighting. They, it's really beneficial for them to keep us separate. And so it's really helpful to white supremacy if you do not support trans people, if you're a turf and you say, um, yeah, I want equality. If you're um, a Black Lives Matter person, but you don't support trans people. And so that they, they want us all fighting because it just keeps them in power. Um, so I think it's so important that we don't do that and that we, you know, make sure um, that we're being inclusionary. But I think, again, that has to do with, you know, where people's lines are. It's like, if you have a line, like, well, that's as far as I can go, as far as inclusion, you know? Well, if you have a line and if, if it, it's religious, then you're not really including everybody. And, and it, it's detrimental to the fight for equality for everybody, including the people that are fighting. Please uh, yeah, correct me if I miss anything, because I know that you're, you are an expert in this field much more than I am. And you're, letting, you're being nice because I'm your guest yapping away, but please correct <laughs> me. No, no. Okay, first off, first off for the record too, my belief is that there are no experts in DEI. 
And I think that's the beauty as well, that we are all work in progress. Um, I make sure. mistakes. And also at the same time, because of my identities, I'm never an expert of anything um, in social justice. You know, it's a collaborative effort and it's a the right. learning experience as much as it's a career and as much as it's a commitment and as much as a passion. Um, but I appreciate your, your sentiment. And you were talking about including um, people as part of intersectionality and um, talking about how um, as a, identifying as a white woman, there are some spaces that you're going to be wary of. And also, I like the, the mentality of, you know, privilege being a currency, you know, pay with your privilege and not with your guilt. And mm-hmm. that reminds me Brit- Brittany of, Packett. <laughs> She's great. Yeah, we need That's to her, link yeah, yeah. that for the That's audience um, in the description boxes below. And that brings me to the point also of Kamala Harris, right? When she became vice president or rather when before she became vice president during the debate she she tries to pick up the space that she deserves and I see a lot of white women on LinkedIn be like yes women power and at the same time it's like hang on hang on I think we need to remember that she's also a black woman and how that is relevant is is that I wish that more white women when they say that that they acknowledge her blackness Oh, absolutely. I find that weird. I think after how long I've been sort of ingrained, like, but I would say it, it really is in even the last two years that I've gotten better at that. So like you said, it's a learning, right? Um, I knew about intersectionality and was definitely intersectional in my brain when I started my business. And I've definitely been, um, you know, I would say probably for like five years, very like aware of you know, bringing up race when I talk about gender, but it's definitely in the last two years where I'm like, and black women, like at every, every time I'm like, yeah, white women have it hard and black women have it worse. Like, and, and I, and it's hard because, um, not hard character counts are a real thing, right? When you're talking on LinkedIn or you're, where we met, right. And you even said that to me, you're like, I had to cut that for character, pack, right. In, and Instagram, um, all of that. And you want to make a point and you want to make a lot of points. Um, there's a tendency to reduce people to acronym, right? Like LGBTQ, um, uh, uh, BIPOC, um, in England, they have uh, BAME. Um, I don't know if it said, if you say it BAME or if it's just B-A-M-E, but um, do, do you know? Yes, I've heard, but I don't know how to, yeah. I, like LinkedIn, right? I read it, but I don't really know. I have not heard of people saying that in real life. Yeah, I, I think it's BAME. And then um, there's um, ADOS or ADOS, which is um, American Descendants of Slavery, right? So there's a, there's a tendency to use those. And a lot of what's happened this year is people don't want that, right? Like, and that's totally valid. You don't have to be like an, a letter, right? W, we don't have a letter for white. It's just, we, we're the default, right? And so, which is terrible. Um, so, and yet I sometimes, you know, it's, I want to use those because I want to include all those people and I can't fit 10 people in this thing. And also when you're writing, cause I'm a, I'm a writer, it's a lot, it's a mouthful to say it all the time, but that's not an excuse. That's just my discomfort because saying white woman or white Jewish woman isn't a mouthful to me. It's just, it might be to somebody else. Right. So like you have to respect people's identities as they want to be. And so I think with, with 
um, Kamala, you know, you want to always acknowledge that. And it's very interesting to see, you know, there are, there are, there's definitely more white women that are getting it than aren't when you see things like what happened in Georgia with, um, um, oh my God. Um, oh, Stacey Abrams, there we go. So um, I'm getting old. It takes like a minute to recall things sometimes. Um, so, um, you know, where, where women were like, you know, oh yeah, Democrats, like we did it and da, da, da. And you're like, no, like that's, that's black women's hard work, right? Um, and so I think it's really important to just acknowledge that. And it's really actually quite easy to do that. Um, I think what I noticed, it's interesting that you were like saying how she took up space. I'm like, I noticed that she was totally code switching. Like, and I, you know, I don't know what her default is at home. She's married to a white Jewish guy, you know, and he has two, two white kids um, who I actually, I think are, do not identify as Jewish. Um, but like, you know, she's part of the reason that she's, and I hate this word, but like palatable in this country is because she is good at being in these spaces and being acceptable, like not making people uncomfortable, right? Like, you know, as, as I think, um, you know, like some of the friends that I know is like, well, like they don't bring out their real black, you know, like that happens when we're not around. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what that is for her. I have no idea um, what she's like when she's, you know, her, her, her uh, facade is off. But I know that from what I observed in the debates, like she's powerful and she did a great job. Um, but I think that she also is definitely like having to put on this, you know, what's acceptable in white culture. And, and the same thing, you know, I'll say for, um, you know, um, like Bernie and Warren, I mean, Warren was like this, you know, and, and, and um, what's her name? Um, Hillary Clinton was like, you know, this like pushy, like the nagging, like, you know, just all these negative things that were said because they were being forceful in their way, right? And um, then, you know, Bernie, because he was like this really pushy, he's like, he's a Jewish guy. He's gonna be like this whiny, pushy person. That's his personality. But that really is like a cultural thing. Um, you know, Cory Booker and, um, um, you know, I think a lot of, you know, the other, other people, that ran of, of color, like they have to code switch all the time. And I think that that is something to acknowledge that that's, that's gotta be exhausting, right? Like I know when I've tried to be a quieter person, right? And try to like temper myself for the patriarchy, I don't like doing it. Um, so I think that like, it's so important to acknowledge that part of their identity because then when you do that, you're also acknowledging the work that they have to do to live that identity in a white supremacist country, right? In the government. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think like she's amazing and I think we should celebrate it. And it's interesting because I also saw women, that, black women that said they didn't want to celebrate her because of the harm that she caused to black communities um, from her um, like legal, you know, work in California and, and in the um, contributing to prison pipeline. And I think that like what you were saying is like, it can both be true. Right, but we we we're moving the needle a little bit every day, and yeah, we can acknowledge that's really bad, and we can still acknowledge it, this is me. Not everybody has to agree, right? If I'm a black woman, you are entitled to say like, look, she did more harm than good. For me, she is in the White House now, and we haven't had a she in the White House, and that's rad. 
And I want to celebrate that. And I want to celebrate how hard she worked for that. Um, but I understand completely, you know, if people don't want to do that. The reason why I brought up Kamala Harris' um, point is also because I think it's all right to identify with any woman, but it's also a responsibility to acknowledge that, especially if if the woman has an identity that that person do not share, to acknowledge that, you yeah. know, it's not it's not oppression Olympics. It's not about you know who has who is oppressed mm-hmm. more than the other, and I think mm-hmm. that's what white so called white families have a difficulty understanding. Mm-hmm. It's that again intersectionality, right? You can't look at a person and be like, "She's a woman, I'm a woman, so we're the same." Like we are not the same, and right. it's important to acknowledge that. And you were talking about near the start about um black women acknowledging black women in the movement for suffrage. So. Can you talk more about that? Because I personally didn't know about the history either. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm basically, there was um, a huge amount of support from women, you know, in the turn of the century um, that they helped, you know, march. They stood next to white women and fought. They, um, when they, when they were granted the right to vote, um, black women were too. And actually, a lot of people don't know this, a lot of Black women did vote at that point. And what happened was, um, they, so because we have state-to-state laws, they, um, they being the white supremacist <laughs> patriarchy, was like, well, we, we're going to, every state, put laws down that um, make it so that it's harder for them, right? So like, it, you know, um, they had taxes, like a poll tax, so they had to pay. They had to have a reading test, right? And so that, you know, that it was like these things to like disenfranchise poor people, people of color. And um, so uh, one of the things um, they did um, was uh, there was a bunch of women that got together and made a school and they taught them all to read in like a thousand of them. And they, you know, black women, so that they could pass the test and vote, and they did. Um, but what happened was the same thing that happened when um, you know black men um, were freed slaves and they could vote. Um, you know there was lynching, there was total uh, intimidation at the polls, like violence and all of that. And so over time, they just couldn't do it. Like they couldn't actually have access. But for a few years, they they did um, do that. And but the thing was. I think there's a sentiment which I, I concur with based on the history is like, you know, white women got the right to vote and they just were like, cool, see you later. Like they could have easily stood next to these women, not easily, it have been work, right? But stood next to these women and fought for them, right? But they didn't, they didn't show up for them at all. Um, and I think that that's the thing that makes, you know, now hard is like over time, we've not shown up, right? There's a lot of distrust. There's a lot of and and, it, and rightfully so, you know, white women kind of keep letting them down, right? Like letting all women of color down, not just black women, um, but especially black women. And, you know, at the end of the day, like I'm still me, I can still just go about my life. Like I, that's what in, in the suffragist movement, same thing. Like you, you can just say that journey was fun and I don't need to learn about this anymore. You know, it's like, that's why I hate the word journey because I'm like, who has time for a journey? Only white people have time for a journey. Other people are dying, literally getting abused. Like Asian Americans last week, like it's not, 
you know, I, I'm like, you're learning, or as you said, I think the even more you're unlearning, right? It takes a lifetime to unlearn. I think that that's true of all the behavior we want to change. Like all of us who don't want to necessarily, um, punish like our parents, like my parents were spanked, but I didn't get spanked. I think that much, maybe I got once and like, I don't do it at all. Come, you know, you, but you have to unlearn that. Um, so I think unlearning all of this takes time. Um, there was something else I wanted to touch on before we um, ended about um, centering, which was that um, I think that there's a, a something that I struggle with personally. And I, I, when we first started talking at the beginning, like you were talking about your experience and I immediately equated it to like my Jewish, my, my identity. I think that we're, our, our culture, we're used to comparing, right? Like, oh, I have this, you have this. Like we, we, um, we just make comparisons a lot. And so the, our default is to try to like understand from our identity so that we can relate. Um, but the idea that uh, I did not turn, coin this term, but there's like uh, Jen, Jen McCabe, who is, so I work with this person, my coach, uh, Nick, who is like, I, I say he's unparenting me, right? Um, and, but is also, you know, um, we talk a lot about gender and race and intersectionality as, because it's so part of who you are as a parent, right? And Jennifer McCabe, who is one of her, like, people that they, or one of their people that they love, see, I got their pronouns wrong, um, uh, says that, um, like it's radical relating, like you have to learn to relate differently and that you don't have to relate by comparison. And yet there is some sense of like, that's my identity and I can understand you, but not to decenter. And I think that what happens is when you bring up your own identity on top of somebody talking about their thing, they're like, that's cool. I don't want to hear that right now. Like you said, you're mad at me. And now, like, I was mad at you. And now you're mad at me. Like that hurt me. And now, you know, and my kids do that. Like I, if I, if they're upset about something, they say, oh yeah, when I was a kid, they don't want to hear that. They don't care. They want me to center them. And when you do that, well, it's not natural for us, but when you do it well for kids, it's great for, I mean, it literally snaps people out of that pain in a way because they feel seen. Um, and when you push against it or you compare it to your own experience and not just accept it as their pain, that is when I think the struggle continues. So I, I always say it like this, my son, if he breaks, when he was little, if his string cheese got broken, I could like argue with him all day long that you can get another one, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter, it tastes the same, blah, blah, blah. And he'd scream for hours. But if I just said, I'm so sorry. That's really hard for you. And acknowledge that that's for him as a four-year-old was like just as bad as if he lost, I, I don't know, a toy, a, a, you know, a friend, I don't know. Because you can't know what people's feel, what people feel like. And that's another thing from that Jennifer McCabe talks about is like our idea of empathy is a little bit wrong because you can never be in somebody else's shoes. I can never know what you feel. I just have to acknowledge what you feel is real for you and that that hurt is real. And I think that the more white women can do that to bring it full circle, the more white women can do that for other women and women of color, the better, right? And so, you know, 
I, again, I mean, my default was like, well, but I'm a Jewish woman, but that's not the same thing. Right. And even if I experienced that, I can identify with your, you know, what you're saying about waves or, or pain, but it's really important to say, but like your experience is unique and valid and just as important, if not more. And that is kind of where the decentering happened. But I think that where we get stuck is when our default is to compare and then people get mad. Don't talk about yourself. It's like, okay, yes, but I'm unlearning, right? So like, I, I will learn not to talk about myself ever, but also I'm a person and I want to share something about myself too, so that you can understand me. So I think that um, to your point about, you know, Kamala, you just have to acknowledge it. There is that part of the identity and that in itself is actually really helpful. It's validating that you notice, oh, guess what? She's not a white woman. She's probably dealt with a lot of stuff, right? And so I think you're right. Like, that's a huge thing. Yeah, validation goes a long way for making people feel seen. You know, that's the yeah. first. And... You know, like you said, closing out, looking forward. You mentioned it in our conversation previously before the podcast. Um, of that we put children in boxes you know they, they they didn't come with labels or categories to put people in and we 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 are the ones society are the ones parents are the ones who put them who give them those boxes to put people in and so you know as parents anyone out there whether you are feminist or not you know it's something worth thinking about about what boxes are, are you giving your kids um, to put people in to put themselves in and also decentering ourselves when we are called in or called out. I think that's very essential in this lifelong learning and unlearning of our harmful behaviors towards others and mm-hmm. also of ourselves. And so, you know, closing out, any last words for our audience? Any, any, anything you would like them to know? Anything you would mm. like them to take away? I mean, I think you just, you wrapped it up beautifully. It's a long process to unlearn, embracing being called in or called out and getting more comfortable with that. And honestly, uh, one of the things I learned kind of early on from getting deeper in the work was like, if you don't talk about race with your friends that are of another race, then they're not really your friends. And that really like opened my eyes, even my, my colleagues and coworkers. So you know, getting uncomfortable and having those conversations, um, but not necessarily, you, you don't, you want to be sensitive, but you don't want to put those conversations on people of color, right? Uh, you know, black women, if they don't want to talk about you, they don't know you, they're not comfortable with you with racism, like you can't just bring it up out of the blue. Um, but it is, a, you know, a thing that you can constantly try to learn more and say, hey, are you willing to talk to me about this? Because I, I, I have a question and it's maybe really stupid. And you know what? You're not going to get it right. Like that's, as a white woman, you're not going to get it right. But like, how many times do we not get anything right? Like, especially as parents too. Um, so I would just say, you know, you're on, part of the unlearning too is just like, um, and you touched on this right at the end, is like questioning your past. I think a lot of the reason that people don't do this work this is my like guess, right? Um, is that it's painful, right? I look back and I, I was a horrible person. I did horrible things. 
we, I mean, we can all probably say that in our lives, we've done things we regret, right? But when you're a white person growing up with privilege and then you look back and you're like, oh God, I acted like that when I was 20, in my 20s, like this black woman I worked with. And I'm not gonna go and find her and apologize. The only thing, you know, A, that would put more junk on her. Um, you know, it, centering myself, it's my own problem. I just need to sit with that discomfort and then not do it again and learn how to pay it forward, right? How to pay, pay that mistake forward in a better way. And so I think that like a lot of people, they get to a point with this and then it gets uncomfortable and they stop. Because a lot of times you have to do a lot of, like it's all self. It's not a lot of outside. It's a lot of looking at yourself and your assumptions and where your line is, like the turf line, right? Like my son, when he was little, teeny guy, he wore dresses. He had a sister, big sister. And we were like great, it was super great. But like, you know, when we would go out in public, it was kind of like, ah, do you want to change? There, there was a line. Why? I don't know. But we would question that. Like, is that, you know, where our discomfort would end, right? And so, I mean, are we the most progressive? Like, we're trying to be, but you're never going to be the most progressive. Um, but I think that, like, really, for white women especially, to do this work, all it is is like literally unpacking how horrible have you been in the past? What did you, what did you assume? Not horrible, but right. What did you assume? And then don't stop. Like, you know, great. So you remembered that. So, oh, that was really not cool, right? Like, have you done that again since? Do, do you do that? I mean, the other day I was in the car with my daughter and I said something about a friend and then later was like, oh, that's probably like not okay to have that like stereotype about somebody and my daughter was like yeah i would not say that again and i was like yeah i'm definitely not saying that again but you have to be aware and know that you're still going to mess up and you're going to say things and you're going to have these assumptions um but not let it stop you so that's really i just would say don't let it stop you oh i wore this shirt for the for just for today and we're not we're not going back so we're just moving forward and uh i think you know part of that is just like you know keep keep asking yourself the questions and questioning what you know, because it may not be right. Yes, I like that ending. It's so great. So thank you once again, Emily, thank for joining you. us. And thank you, audience who are listening in. Once again, this is What's Going On. There's a playlist on the right if you're on YouTube and somewhere on the page if you're on Anchor. And I hope that you will join us next time for our next episode. Take care. Thank you. And stay safe. Thank you.